Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has died to take our sin away, that when we trust in him we can now receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for putting us into a church family. We pray that as we look at this picture of the early church family this morning, that you will challenge us to be more and more like them. And we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Our culture today is very individualistic, isn't it? I see the contrast especially with Korean culture and Japanese culture that are much more community-minded. And I see the contrast even with 30 years ago when I was a little kid. When I was a kid, I lived on the same street as my nan and my auntie. And we basically wandered the street between the three houses as kids. We often stayed the night at my nan's or my auntie's and we were pretty much given the run of the places. We ate there, we played there, we pretty much did what we wanted like we did at home. I grew up in an extended family situation. I suspect that's very rare nowadays. Nowadays it's very much nuclear families on their own, isn't it? Kids aren't allowed out on the streets. And even the nuclear family is under threat. Low marriage rates, high divorce rates, the high rates of single parenthood, more and more they're leaving our society full of people who are on their own, keeping company with the TV. Australia is getting richer and richer economically, but at the same time we're getting poorer and poorer in terms of community and family. And I think it's showing more and more in church life. Most modern churches are groups of individuals whose lives intersect only just slightly. They mingle for an hour on Sundays, squinting to read each other's names off their name tags. We have particularly in our evening service a whole heap of people who make sure they come in as the first hymn is, uh, is starting and leave as the last hymn is finishing, so nobody will talk to them. Churches are following our culture and becoming more and more individualistic. But here in Acts chapter 2, in verses 42 to 47, we get a little picture of what life was like in the early church. And it is a profound contrast to our individual ways. The way this passage works, verse 42 summarises, and then the rest of the verses fill out the summary and show the impact that the church had. And the picture we get here is a picture of a family. Church was like a family, a close-knit loving community. In verse 42, we see there are two things that characterised their family life. Firstly, they were learners. They listened carefully to the teaching of Jesus' apostles. And second, they had what the Bible calls fellowship. They shared their lives. They shared their stuff. As the rest of the verse explains, they broke bread together. That is, they, they ate meals together, possibly including the Lord's Supper. And they prayed together. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, that is, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. In the next verse, we see there was a sense of awe in the church as they saw God at work in new ways. And then we, we pick up the idea of them being devoted to the apostles' teaching. We see part of why the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, back in chapter 2 and verse 22, Peter said, 
he was talking about Jesus' miracles, and he said that God accredited Jesus by enabling him to do signs and wonders and miracles. Well, now we see Luke tell us that God was also doing that for the apostles. He was accrediting them as his spirit-inspired, authorised witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ. He proved that what they said could be trusted. He proved, well, that people ought to be devoted to their teaching. And so, verse 43... Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That's why they're devoted to their teaching. Well, next we'll learn more about the the, the fellowship, the second aspect of their their communal life. Uh, We see that it involved radical generosity, people sharing their stuff, looking after the poor and needy. Verse Verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, I don't think this means that uh, they were living in some kind of a commune, that everyone sold everything that they had. In the very next verse, we see that they met together in each other's homes. So they can't have given everything away. Many of them had homes to meet in. It was more a case of people who had extra giving to the poor, very generously. But it's not pure communism here. It's It's more like a family where people share their stuff, where they look after each other. If someone needs something, their family gives it to them. The fellowship of the early church involved sharing their stuff. They didn't have to have 37 lawnmowers. They were able to work together on a lawnmower. It also involved meeting together. Not once or twice a week, but every day. In the temple... I take it was a large enough area for them to meet, and also in each other's homes, in smaller groups, I guess. Verse 46. 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And then in the last part of this section, we see the impact that the believers had on their community. They were held in high regard. As people looked in in their family, they wanted to join them. They wanted to be part of it. And so the church kept on growing as Jesus added to their numbers. Verse 47 again, praising God, and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Get the picture of this early church? They're like a family. Firstly, they are a learning family. They're learning from the apostles, and that's really the foundation of what makes them a family. They're not a family because they're blood relatives. They're not a family because, uh, because they happen to be living in Jerusalem together. They're a family based on, based on their shared faith in Jesus as they're being taught by the apostles. And it's that learning from the apostles that is the foundation of their family. They're not a family because they're blood relatives. They're a family because they're shared faith in Jesus as the apostles teach them about Jesus. That's the first point, a learning family. Second point is they're a sharing family. They have close fellowship. Like a family, they share their stuff. Like a family, they have family gatherings. They meet together. They do stuff together. They eat together. They pray together. They praise God together. And then thirdly, they have an impact on their community. They're constantly growing in numbers as people want to become part of the family, as they're attracted to them. 
Now, this is only a very brief summary, and I'm sure in some ways it's an idealised summary. Later on, as we go through Acts, we'll see the church, the early church, had plenty of problems. We'll see there were false teachers around the place, there were squabbles over money, the, the church faced, faced persecution from the authorities. Like in all families, there were problems. The church here, the early church, is full of sinners, just as the church everywhere else is. But still, I reckon this is a beaut picture, don't you? All right. Well, now, before we try to apply this passage to ourselves, I do want you to notice something. Notice that this is not a passage of instructions to us. It doesn't directly teach us how to do church. This is not, this is how you do church, written for us. What this passage does, it, it describes what their church is like. It's a describing passage. It's not an instructive passage. It's a, a narrative passage rather than a didactic passage for the theologians. And given our different place in time and history and culture, I think there are ways that we won't be like the early church. We're not in Jerusalem. We're not in a monocultural rural community in the first century Roman Empire. And so there will be differences between our church and the early church, valid differences. But still there is plenty, plenty that we can learn from this description of the early church. Plenty of things to challenge us as we think about how to do church because... Because in context, what we're seeing here is the, the, the original, spirit-filled, apostolic church. Now think about what's just happened. God has poured out the spirit on the believers. Peter has preached the gospel and said, if you believe in Jesus, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A whole heap of people have believed in Jesus, no doubt received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and here is the result. We're seeing here the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the early believers, and I, said, I think this... This description of the early church is meant to function as a model for us. There are things here in Acts chapter 2 that we are supposed to be emulating. So let's look at those three features of early church life, their family life. Let's, let's look at their learning. Let's look at their fellowship. Let's look at their impact. And try to think about how they might apply in our situation. Well, first, there's the way the early church family learned from Jesus' apostles. God accredited the apostles by enabling them to do miracles, and the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, obviously, our circumstances are a bit different. We can't devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching in person in the same way. They're long dead. There is no one around today who I think can validly claim to be an apostle. There's nobody here uh, who saw Jesus in the way the 12 apostles did. There's, there's nobody here given that same authority. And so you wouldn't expect that God would be accrediting today people as apostles by miracles. Now, I'm not saying that uh, God can't do miracles today. I'm just saying there aren't apostles and eyewitnesses around today that you would expect to be accredited by miracles in the same way as here in the first century church. We can't devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles in quite the same way that the early church did. But we can devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, can't we? How? Well, by being avid students of the New Testament. 
Because in the New Testament, we have the teaching of the apostles. We've got the teaching of apostles like Peter and John and Matthew, the special Gentile apostle Paul. We've got descriptions of apostolic ministry like here in the book of Acts. And so we can, in fact, follow the example of the first century church. We can be a people who are devoted to the apostles' teaching by being avid students of the scriptures. If you think about it, that's very significant. Because... Like for the early church, that should be the foundation of our family life as a church. We are not a family because we're blood relatives. We are not a family because we're from the same race. We're patently not all from the same race. We're not a family because we happen to live somewhere near Chatswood. We're a family because of our shared faith in the Lord Jesus whom we learn about from the apostles, from the scriptures. And so that means our relationships as a family should be built around regular Bible study. That's what brings us together. And so in church, Sunday by Sunday, we need to be studying the Bible. We don't want to hear a preacher blabbing about some ideas he's made up. When we come to church, we want to reflect on what the apostles say. We want someone to read the Bible to us. We want someone to explain what they say to us in context. We want someone to think through with us how we can apply the apostolic teaching to our own lives. And of course that's not just for Sundays. Bible study during the week is a vital element of our family life, uh, growing as mature Christians. That's why each week our church runs a number of Bible studies. They give us a chance to to sit together and have a deeper look at the passage we're studying on Sundays. They give us a chance to ask questions. They give us a chance to work through the ideas together, to to think with each other, well, how does this apply in my life? If you're not in a Bible study, you really should join one. You really should. They're on pretty much every day of the week. And if you are in a Bible study, be regular. Make it a priority. We need to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching about Jesus because that is the thing that unites us as a family. How are you going on that point? Are you like those people in the early church, the spirit-filled believers? Is the spirit in you making you want to devote yourself to the teaching of the apostles? The second feature of the early church's family life was its fellowship, the way they shared their lives and the way they shared their stuff. And the early church shared their lives. They they met together. They ate together. They prayed together and praised God uh, together. They shared together uh, in the Lord's Supper like a family. They, They regularly gathered together. Now I know it's not easy for us Modern city life is very busy. Many of us have to travel long distances to church and to work. It's hard to find time to meet. It's much easier to sit at home in front of the TV. But still, this is something we ought to be emulating. If we are going to grow together as a family, we're going to need to meet. We're going to need to share our lives. That's why it's important to be regular and committed to Sunday church, week by week by week. Church is a chance for us to meet together, to pray, to praise God as a family. It's a chance for us to share in the Lord's Supper and and in morning tea. It is an important family gathering. 
You're missed if you're not here. And again, of course, the church went way beyond meeting once a week, didn't it? They met in each other's homes. They showed hospitality to each other. They ate meals together. They prayed and praised God at each other's houses. You see, for all our best efforts, we're not going to have anything other than superficial relationships if we just come to church. We're never going to get any deeper than why did Parramatta lose again or something like that. (laughs) We're never really going to be a family unless we take the trouble to meet and get to know each other. So how are you going on that one? Are you getting to know your church family? Are you working on developing relationships? Are you showing hospitality? Are you eating with people, praying with people, praising God with people? Have you ever had someone over to your home and shared with them in that sort of way? Maybe today is the day to start a habit. Aim to have someone over for a meal maybe once a fortnight, once a month even. I know it's tough. I know maybe you feel like you're too old or or maybe you feel like it's too tough with the kids, but it really is worth it. It's the only way we'll grow as a family, so why not take the opportunity today Over morning tea, book in a date with someone to come and have lunch with you on a Sunday in a few weeks or something. The early church was like a family. So they met together, they shared their lives. And like a family, the early church shared what they had. That was part of their fellowship too. They shared their stuff. It says in verse 44, they had everything in common. Now again, our church, our our context is a bit different from the early church. We live in a country that has quite good social welfare. There was no welfare system in first century Palestine. Uh, People's taxes didn't go towards supporting the poor. They went towards uh, supporting the rich Roman Empire. And in our particular church community, it's not like there are people starving. There's no great need for us to be giving money to each other except to support people who rely on you, like me, uh, to support ministry. But still, this is a challenge to us, this concept of sharing like a family. Because I'm sure it's the same with you and the same with your kids and the same with your parents. If I go home to my mum and dad's place, I can just open up the fridge and eat what I want. If I need something, they'll give it to me. They'll do what it takes to help me. Why? Because we're family. What's theirs is mine. Of course, you do that for your kids as well. So would I. But that's what it was like in the early church. If someone needed something in church, someone in church would lend it to them, even give it to them. People shared their stuff like in a family. I reckon that is a radical challenge to our culture because in our individualistic culture, we are not good at sharing. We might share with our blood families, But for the rest we say, what's mine is mine. This picture of a church sharing like a family is countercultural, And of course it's wide open to abuse. Wide open to exploitation. But again, it's a really attractive picture, isn't it? Wouldn't you like to be part of a family like this? 
where people look after you, where you have the opportunity to look after people. The sort of community where we help each other when we're in trouble, where we share our resources, where we're giving and taking like a much broader extended family. So how are you going on that? I know a lot of people read books about early church community, a lot of people whinge about how the church isn't a community, but, but really the question is about whether you are willing to play your part in a family like that, whether you're willing to share with your brothers and sisters in Christ the stuff that you've worked so hard to earn. Now, the early church shared with each other, like a family, and as part of their fellowship, they were radically generous to the needy. People even sold houses and fields and stuff to, to make sure that the needy were provided for. Now, there's a challenge for us as well. I think most of us are probably going okay here at Chatswood. I suspect nobody particularly needs to sell their house because anybody's starving here. But more broadly, we live in a world of massive need. Our Christian brothers and sisters throughout the world are suffering. Many are in abject poverty. There is plenty of opportunity if, you will only, if we will only lift our eyes. There is stacks of opportunity for us to show the kind of radical, spirit-filled generosity that the early church showed. And the fact is, again, this will be countercultural because Aussies in general are dead-set stingy when it comes to all forms of charity. Uh, they talk about the Jews. My Jewish family were much more generous than the average Aussie. They talk about the Scots. Aussies are one of the most stingy people on earth. Do you know that Australians spend far more on pet food than on all forms of charitable giving put together? My understanding is that Bill Gates himself gives just about as much as the whole of Australian charity. We live in a very materialistic culture a culture that, keeps, uh, that encourages us to keep on acquiring and in many ways we are pretty much sold out to it. But the early church was radical in its generosity to the needy and they stand as a stern rebuke. That spirit-filled church stands as a stern rebuke to our modern greedy acquisitiveness. How are you going on that one? Are you generous to the needy? Well, that's the second feature of the early church, their fellowship, the way they shared their lives, the way they shared their stuff generously with each other, with the needy. The third thing to look at is the impact of the early church. The Lord kept adding to their numbers day by day, those who were being saved. As people looked at this family built around Jesus, they liked what they saw. They wanted to be part of it. They wanted to know Jesus, the Jesus who had created a family like this. Now again, remember, Acts 2 is a description. It's not a prescription. The Lord may choose not to add daily to our numbers at Chatswood Presbyterian. It's possible but I doubt we will see 3,000 people given, uh, converted on any given Sunday here at Chatswood. We may not enjoy the same sort of numerical growth as the early church. That's in God's hands. It's he who adds to the number of those who are, who are saved. But still the example of the early church here is something for us to follow. We ought to be creating the kind of family that other people would love to be a part of. And we ought to be inviting people to trust in Jesus and to join us. The point is very simple. 
If you think Jesus is worth trusting in, if you think our church is worth coming to, then it's not just worth it for you, it's worth it for other people. So invite them. Invite them to trust in Jesus. Invite them to come to church. This is something that we should be thinking about all year. It's something that should be on the agenda, I think, in every relationship that we have. But don't forget, in five weeks, open week is coming. A time when you know that the message about Jesus will be clearly explained. There's a great chance for us to focus our efforts, to, to, to take one step. So have you, have you invited someone to one of the events yet? You've got a bloke in mind for bowling on Saturday morning. Got a lady in mind for the cooking demonstration. Got, got some people in mind to come to, to the special family church day. We can put all sorts of effort into um, making events during open week, but if we don't invite people, we're wasting our time. There's nothing, uh, nothing open about the week at all. It'll just be us in a different context. Like the early church, we want to have an impact. We want our family to grow as people come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Okay, feeling a bit battered? <laughs> I have been this week. Here are three big challenges, aren't there, from the early church. They were a family who learned from the apostles, a family who shared their lives and their stuff, a family that kept on growing. Let me, let me conclude by saying this. Church is not a building that you go to. Church is not some kind of a, a show that we put on for you week by week. Church isn't even the place that you go to get your dose of teaching and encouragement and support. Church is actually a family of people that you become a part of. Where you, where you give and take. Where you share and participate. Where you have your special place. And the fact is, as I said at the beginning, family is a pretty scarce commodity in our culture. And it's growing scarcer all the time. And that, means, that means on the one hand, it's going to be hard to make church like a family. We're going to have to move against the tide of our culture. Other people will think we are stupid if we share our stuff. Other people will think that we are open to exploitation, and we will be open to exploitation. But on the other hand, in our culture, this is a real opportunity. If we're like a family, we will stand out. And the more people in our society become isolated and lonely, the more we will stand out as different and that'll make us and, and the Lord that we proclaim more and more attractive. In a world where many people are longing for family, are longing for someone to, somewhere to be accepted and loved, we will stand out if we are a family like that. We will show that, that Jesus makes a difference, that the family that he creates is something worth being a part of. So there's the challenge. And there's the opportunity. If you're trusting in Jesus... You're part of the family. Welcome. Now, how are you going to play your part? Let's pray. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us together. Together we are united to him as your people, as your children, as a family. We thank you that you are a Heavenly Father that we are co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you, will not, you, that you will unite us to Christ and to one another by your Spirit and help us to love each other, to look after each other and to be the family that you call us to be.
For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.